Welcome to the Soul Sessions Podcast. Deep dive into the causes and real issues underlying addiction, codependency, emotional eating, weight concerns, and the trance of unworthiness. Tune in weekly to befriend, nourish, and heal body, feelings, mind, and soul. And now, your host, soul-centered psychotherapist, trauma expert, and mind-body eating coach, Jody Gale. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Sessions with Jodie Gale podcast. This episode is sponsored by my new Facebook group, Trauma Warriors, Healing, Self-Development and Post-Traumatic Growth for Women. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which my office is based and across which we virtually meet and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Today, I have a returning guest from episode 10, which was Young Adult Fiction, Mental Health and Identity, and that is with author Pip Harry. And we are going to be talking about her latest book, Are You There, Buddha? Pip Harry is an Australian children's author and journalist. Her novel, The Little Wave, won the CBCA 2020 Book of the Year Award for Young Readers and the Speech Pathology Australia Book of the Year. Her young adult novels include I'll Tell You Mine, Head of the River and Because of You. Her latest novel is Are You There, Buddha? And she is currently working on a new middle grade novel due for release in 2022. Welcome back, Pip. Thank you, Jodie. I had so much fun the first time we chatted, so I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, speaking of which, you know, I mean, that was, I think you were one of my first interviews. So a lot's happened since then. <laughs> You've moved back to Australia from Singapore. You've done two hotel quarantines. And for anyone overseas listening, that means that when people arrive in Australia, they have to go into quarantine because of COVID. And this second one, you arrive back ready to sort of emerge back into the world. And then we went into the, to lockdown. <laughs> and I think by the time we get out, it'll be the longest lockdown in the world. So how are you doing? Um, Yeah, I mean, I've had better years, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so challenging, Jodie. Yeah, two stints in hotel quarantine. One, because of um, a death in the family. My sister died in March, which was just Mm. very traumatic. Um, And the second time was um, to come back and get my daughter back into school in Australia and get her ready for high school. And it turns out schools were closed and it was all online learning. Yeah, so it's been um, super challenging, but really glad to be back in Australia. Mm. Yeah, it has been. And, um, you know, we'll make official, our first official outing was we went for a little picnic dinner at Manly Dam on Friday night, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was like people and sitting around a table and some I food. Know. I, know. I just loved it. I really miss people. I'm an introvert, but I still miss people yeah. in my life. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. I know you shared a bit about yourself on episode 10, but for those new to the podcast, would you just say a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a writer of young adult fiction and children's books? Sure. So I actually wrote a middle grade novel when I was a young person. I think I started it when I was 21. And that book didn't go anywhere. I got a literary agent, but it didn't sell. Uh, So then I just sort of chucked it in, as you do when you're young. You think, no, I don't want to deal with those rejections. And I started working as a journalist on weekly magazines, so mainly celebrity and gossip magazines like New Weekly, Woman's Day, TV Week, those sorts of magazines. 
And then I didn't come back to writing fiction until I was well into my 30s and I wasn't published until I was 35. So, yeah, my first book, yeah, it was a long time. My first book was for young adults. was called I'll Tell You Mine. And I really wrote it. I think I was just always really drawn to writing for young people because of all the adventure, all those firsts and those discoveries you have when you're young. And I just think it's a really life-changing kind of transformative time. So I was, I was always drawn to writing for young people, yeah. Mm. So that book that you wrote back when you were 21, is that still hanging around somewhere waiting to... Uh, <laughs> to resurface? Yeah, come to life <laughs> or is it sort of dead? <laughs> Bottom drawer. I think I have it in a file that says never to be published, but I do have it. <laughs> but I still do have it and I, I feel really fondly, you know, towards that work. But mm. certainly that work was just a stepping stone on the way yeah. to to where I am now and I, I just I'm now writing and, and just um, editing up my sixth novel mm-hmm. so that's amazing. It's always fascinating to me when I hear you talk about working in the world of sort of weekly magazines just knowing and you know you brought in your sister earlier who who will mention is Sarah Harry who was um, you know a very big activist in terms of body image and health at every size and size diversity and thinking back to those sort of magazines I don't know, I just, I can't imagine you working in that field. (laughs) (laughs) It was perhaps like a a pretty strange fit from the start, though I did really like celebrity and entertainment Mm. and and things like that. I was just kind of drawn more to the entertainment side of things, so actors and musicians and performers, Mm. mainly because I can't do any of that. So I (laughs) just liked being in that world and found those people quite fascinating. But, yes, um, Sarah, my sister, and I were always kind of at odds with the work that we did because I might have to write a diet story, you know, the latest hot diet in Hollywood. And, and you know, on the other side, she was always promoting body positivity. And <laughs> so, I, yeah, when we got together, it was, it was um, interesting chats that we would have. And especially knowing now, having read, I think I've read all of your books, just in terms of the positive messages that come through in your books. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later but um and we also looked at that in the last episode but today we're going to talk about are you there buddha and i'm so excited yeah i'm pretty sure my daughter and i were the first people out there to buy it from the mall (laughs) Um, (laughs) it was that first week of the sydney lockdown so the school holidays and you mentioned that it was going to be released that week so we we quickly went down there in our masks and we bought it before we were in what were they were calling the mockdown back then (laughs) people weren't really staying at home when they should have been um (laughs) But anyway, we bought the book and we started to read together and then we were going too slow for me. (laughs) So I stole it from my daughter and I finished it myself. But look, other people are saying it's fresh, authentic, poignant, light and dark by turns. I wish I'd read this when I was growing up. Someone else has written, this is the book I wished I'd read when I was 12. Would you share with our audience what Are You There Buddha is about? Yes, absolutely. So Ayurveda Buddha is a modern take on puberty and first periods um, and it's also about relationships. It's about a girl who's 12 years old, she's called B, and she's starting high school and still really missing her absent mother who's moved to India. She talks to Buddha, that's, that's why the title is called that, and she's also training for a swimming meet and looking for her tribe at school. But she's just trying to figure out her place in the world and kind of looking to Buddha for answers, I suppose. So why did you choose to write this book with this storyline, with this heading? Yeah, yeah, where did it come from? 
Well, I for a long time, actually, maybe sort of six or seven years, I've wanted to write an updated period fiction novel, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So one that that also flipped the narrative a bit and showed a girl who desperately didn't want her period to arrive. Because many books that I'd read and, and did read when I was that age as well were sort of about girls desperate to move into womanhood and catch up with their friends and things like that. And I thought there were enough kids out there who probably didn't want that to happen that it was worth writing a book about. It is a modern day Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. But I did read that book and thought, well, this was written in the 1970s and (laughs) what's out there for our kids now that deals with things like climate anxiety Mm. and social media and a lot of their other concerns, things they're dealing with now. So I, I launched into it. You know, it's interesting because I had never heard of that book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. So the first time I'm being introduced to this is through interviews that I've seen you do. So if I think back to to the 80s and that period of my life, I don't remember wanting to get it or not wanting. I don't think I even knew about it. I think it was so completely absent, any kind of discussion around this kind of stuff. And, you know, at the time, and we've talked about this before, in terms of body image and things like that, it was so full of sort of supermodel wanting to look a certain way and lots of diets you know like the Weight Watchers mm. and all that kind of stuff that I think everything I knew probably came from one of those magazines that you used to write <laughs> except that I'm older. Remember that. <laughs> I'm older than you so it would have um actually no everything I learned was through Cleo and Dolly <laughs> Absolutely. I loved those magazines so much. I was lucky I had an older sister and I think that really helped me discover these Uh things before they started to happen to me because I was like always, you know, barging into her bedrooms and stealing her Cleos and and also just talking to her. She was very open about those sorts of things. (laughs) But it was a shock. I remember I was was doing handstands and, and gymnastics at home when I first got my period and I just burst into tears thinking it was just the most terrible thing that had ever happened to me Mm. and I remember feeling instantly changed by that moment you know Mm. having to sort of step into this much more serious world of responsibility and you know I did feel like I was waving goodbye to childhood in in just an instant in a moment and you know it's interesting because the reason we know each other is through our daughters both being in the same kindy class together all those years ago they're both in year six now about to go on to high school Um, (laughs) So it's, I mean, to me, I, of course, I, I found myself wondering if this is because your daughter's coming to this sort of age and mm-hmm. um, there's that side of things as well. But when I look at our girls, I think, oh, they just seem so young still at 12. <laughs> Are they really going to yeah. go through all this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was selling the book, I was talking to a publisher about it and I mentioned that I, I think that I was writing it and I was writing it quite quickly so that my daughter would have it to read um, when she was sort of 11 or 12. And it takes a couple of years to write a book. So I started writing it when she was around nine, just knowing that I wanted her to have that wow. book in her hands. Yeah. But that that means that now not just my daughter has it, but many, many children aged 11, 12, 13, 14. So that's really exciting. You start to hear from them. They start to write letters or emails, messages saying that it's helped prepare them for high school and, you know, for puberty. And so, yeah, so it makes my job so worthwhile when I hear that feedback. Oh, absolutely. And you were saying something in The Guardian, and I'll link to that in the show notes, really great article that you wrote for The Guardian about Judy Bloom and the Are You There, Margaret, and just mm-hmm. the way that things have changed in terms of uh, the way that we view women's bodies and some of the comments that are made in the book. And when you were reading it with your daughter, she, she was like, 
what the people people <laughs> really say that <laughs> yeah she was just perplexed by so many things in that in that book written in the 70s particularly about boys attitudes to the girls you know and their bodies so, you know that was sort of saying be commenting on their breast size and things like that and Sophie said oh my goodness mum you know if a boy said that in my class he'd be going straight to the counsellor you know (laughs) even the fact that she knows the word (laughs) counsellor exactly right yeah and she was you know horrified she was like you know what is playboy because playboy is mentioned on about page 10 or something that the girls talk about or find under their father's beds is it wow she yeah in this book that's for for children and I explained what it was and she said that is disgusting (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what though not as they don't know about it yet but not as disgusting as what's going on nowadays (laughs) well well that is true exactly yeah maybe maybe once they um discover online they might be thinking actually that was pretty tame yeah yeah bring back playboy (laughs) (laughs) look I know this book is about periods and coming of age starting Mm -hmm. high school and yes like you I mean for me having my daughter starting high school next year I just think it's such a lovely segue into that and thank you for doing the work for me (laughs) (laughs) no problem (laughs) many many others have done the work as well (laughs) get into that later I've got so many recommendations for books Yeah, and we'll talk about those definitely. For me as a therapist, what really hooked me into this book, I was super intrigued about Bee's relationship with her absent mother. And, Mm. well, look, we're not giving too much away by talking about this because it happens within the first, you find out within the first two two or so pages. But um, you had me on the first pages when you wrote, I found Buddhism after mum decided she didn't want to live with us anymore and went to an ashram. That was five and a half years ago. She's still there. And, Mm -hmm. oh, that actually, when I read that, it really sort of broke my heart because working with what I often uh, think of as motherless daughters, and by that I mean I work with a lot of women who I write to and the podcast is for as well as in therapy, where the mother's needs were primary to the child's, and this is very typical in eating disorder families. The mother was absent in some way, and even if she was there and overpowering she's still absent in some way um the there was a lack of attunement to the daughter's needs and ultimately the daughter is abandoned so I know um B's mum takes off to India because of uh, a certain story that happens but what made you start the, the book from this premise I guess from there uh, I think I started a story like that because it sets up what I think is the true heart of the novel which is B finding an ally and a loving parent in her stepmother Kath mm-hmm. so I took this book away actually for a month to a fellowship um, in Brisbane called the May Gibbs Fellowship mm-hmm. um, which helps children's book writers in Australia to, to work on things um, writers as well as illustrators and I, I just found out there that that was the heart of the story was this, you know, this mother-daughter relationship between the stepmother and B, and how were they going to make it work? Um, it's sort of key to B accepting that her mum is absent and self-absorbed and yep. will continue to let her down and not show up for her. Coming to that realisation, I was like, okay, so where does the book start? It starts with the mother being absent and... She's practising Buddhism basically, you know, to get closer to her mother, which is really interesting as well. 
a lot of eating disorder foundations are run by parents who had eating disorders themselves or had children mm-hmm. with eating disorders and they've they've come at it through a through a parent's perspective and look I think that's great at some level but what it also does is it makes it very taboo to talk about absent mothers when you have children adult children with issues <laughs> so for me the fact that this book brings in such a especially a mother leaving a child like she physically leaves this child for me that kind of brings into a book a story that we don't often see either especially in children's books even in adult books it's not it's taboo to talk about still I think yeah I think it is too a lot of readers have been quite angry on Bee's behalf you know when they write to me and tell me they've read the story that they are angry with the mother and they're glad that she doesn't return to the family unit because she has abandoned her child and and totally has her self-interest at heart so definitely Jodie I agree with you on that I mean look I could actually write um, a thesis on on that first page alone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in, terms yeah. of, um, in terms of the sort of mothering issues and, and whatever else. But, uh, yeah, I just really love that you brought that in. And I can understand that when I'm working with women in therapy, anger, especially people with disordered eating and trauma histories, anger is the, I, I think your readers are picking up on what we would call transference and counter-transference in therapy mm-hmm. in that the feeling that you pick up on behalf of the daughter when she has been abandoned. But certainly the people who end up in therapy, they haven't had a stepmother there to help them through or or Buddha to help them through whatever it is and they've typically ended up using an eating disorder or something to support them through that so the book for me has a nice twist like that in the end that there's I mean my relationship with my stepmother certainly was not like the one in the book (laughs) but but, you know we're going to come on to the relationships a little bit further on as well but um, yeah Mm. it just really spoke to me so yeah and you've spoken to you've just started to bring that in so as a way of coping B then turns to Buddhism And for me, what it brought up was definitely a way of connecting, which is what you've just said, but also Mm -hmm. trying to figure out why her mother abandoned her. And most adults who, where where mother was absent or abandoned, they tend to think it's their fault in some way. But nevertheless, B turns to, to Buddha and mindfulness. And I guess I was just curious around why Buddha and why mindfulness? What made you go down that route? It's a good question, yeah. So I'm interested in Buddhism but don't practice Buddhism. My sister was a Buddhist. So when we were sort of going through her house and and packing everything up, she had many, many um, Buddhist statues and different parts of the religion, you know, candles and singing bowls and things like that. Mm -hmm. And and she used it as as a great comfort as well. So so that I think I was thinking about as well when I was writing the book. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in mindfulness and yoga and and a little bit meditation as well. So I thought it would be a nice way for the character B to connect with her absent mum, but also to ask the questions that she really wants to ask her mother about life and growing up and can't because the mother isn't there. So Mm -hmm. Buddha is actually not he in the book. Buddha is she and is is a woman. I just started to think about the great mother then as you were talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I thought, hey, look, you know, I've always thought Buddha has really feminine qualities as well. <laughs> so anyway, she knows why her mum left. She knows it's because she couldn't cope with motherhood and domestic life. But it's Bee's dad who really reinforces that it's not her fault, that she didn't really want, you know, this is a woman who didn't want any family or any child. Um, but that's, a, that's heavy stuff to sort of understand completely when you 
12 years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the mindfulness came in, you know, something I'm interested in, as I said, and um, it's something for, I think, our young people, it's really hard to find that quiet and that connection to themselves and, and where they are in the present because life is so noisy for them, don't you think? Like, oh, absolutely. One of the things I really liked about it too, and on the surface and for someone maybe reading some of those sort of Buddhist statements, Buddha quotes, even that sort of life is suffering, that can, it can sort of appear quite negative. But when you actually dive into that more, it's like once we accept that there is suffering, everything else is is a bonus from there on in. Yes, so, exactly, yeah. um, so there were some really nice quotes in there that I thought would really help that age group just start to think a little bit differently about things, which I mm. which I really like. And B herself, as you said, I think when we were talking one day, she she has a lot of her own Bisms, which we will ask, yeah. yeah, ask you later on, which which you know your favorite is. Yeah. When I was researching this book, I obviously was going through some Buddhist quotes, and some of them I found on the internet, and I was like, you know, can I really trust this? Comes from Pinterest, you know. Mm. <laughs> but they were perfect for a coming of age story, as she's sort of dealing with bullies and growing up and kind of changing. The one that I like the most, I think, is the quote, you yourself, as much as anyone in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Oh, I had one written down too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't it perfect? It's just saying love yourself in the most, you know, simple terms. And I think that's such an important message, especially for young people and teenagers, to, to really understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, um, I think there's a report that's just come out this week around once girls start using Instagram, their self-esteem takes a nosedive by so so much percent or something. Oh, really? Um, it was out, yeah, maybe yesterday or the day before. I'll um, try and find that and link to it in the show notes. And it's easy, easy to see why. And I think the age that, that girls start to drop in confidence is only about nine years old where they start yeah. to lose that that sense of you know, self-confidence. And I think that's really sad and I really would want to bolster these girls and tell them that they're enough you know they really are enough absolutely and also that just that secure sense of self so that they're not pulled along with um you know this I can't remember where I wrote it but it's somewhere around you know you're forever at the mercy of um the other when when you don't really know yourself and when you don't have that strong sense of self and I think going into high school this is so important for young girls to as much as we possibly can to build that secure sense of self so that they not. And actually in that book, I noticed that you had talked about Yumi, is it Yumi Steins? She's written um, Welcome to Consent. And yes, yeah. Um, yeah, there was just some really great topics in there as well around even just consenting to what you're going to follow on social media or consenting to friends. And I'd never even really thought about it in that way. So I just think all these things are really, you know, it's really important. You know, I, I went to school with Uni Steins. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh. We were actually in the same year at school um, and sort of not quite in the same friendship groups but sort of overlap sometimes. And it's sort of wonderful because if you go to Amazon and you look up my book, it, there's a thing that says often bought together. And it's oh. my book and Yumi's book, Welcome to Your Period, which I'm like, yay. <laughs> oh, I haven't read that. We'll talk about that later too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, that's interesting. Got a few Melbourneites. There's so much talent out of Melbourne, isn't there? Yeah, and it's like a big country town. Everyone knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> so 
relationship is a strong theme throughout the book. So we've been talking about the absent relationship with B and her mother and B's relationship with Buddha. There's also the relationship with her dad and the stepmom, which you've brought in, and also her best friend, Leon. So would you just share with our audience a little bit more about these characters and the relationships and I guess how they're important and whatever else you want to say about that? Sure. I mean, I think my books are all about relationships. They wouldn't exist without that. I'm so interested in how people relate to each other, you know, whether it's, you know, mother mother to child or, mm. you know, friends or, you know, I'm just fascinated by it. So in this book we mentioned there's a stepmom, Kath, and she means well but often misses the mark with how she connect, tries to connect with E. So she takes her to the mall, for example, which is really busy and stressful and tries to get B to, you know, buy new clothes and buy a bra and, and things like that. And she just, you know, she puts together this period pack that she puts into B's bag at school. And, of course, the period pack, you know, flies out of the bag <laughs> in the bus and <laughs> the boys start, like, kicking it around to get, you know, it's a classic nightmare situation. Mm. But she's absolutely lovely and, and ultimately, you know, is really there for me. Yeah, and interesting, there's a, a boy called Leon who is B's best friend, kind of best friends forever, and he's a lovely, really kind year eight boy. And through the process of writing the book, you know, a couple of times some editors would say, is this boy too nice? <laughs> and I would push back and say, no, he isn't. Let's, you know, I'm not making him um, not nice. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I did that. So he's very woke and he's educated about periods and he actually is able to step back when B doesn't want any romance or, or whatever, even though he's interested in her. And I think that's really important role modelling for boys. Um, and I've had... Yeah, I've had quite a lot of people say they're going to try and get their boys to read it and things like that, and I I hope that boys do read it. Interesting story, actually, my daughter Sophie, she said, we were watching a movie called Moxie together, and the boy character in that is also very nice and very woke. Mm. And she said, oh, Mum, I was really nervous that he was going to turn mean all the way through the movie because that's what you always see in those kinds of movies. I said, oh, no, you know, that, that was her expectation that this boy was not going to be as nice as he presented. Mm. So anyway, yeah, that was an important relationship in the book. Oh, absolutely. Just a broader representation. You know? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, And I write, I write flawed characters all the time. They're, they're, they're very interesting to read. Mm. But you don't always have to, I think. Yeah. And we were talking earlier, you use a lot of positive affirmations as well as Buddhist quotes. So what are some of your favourite beisms? I know I made a little meme sort of thing for Instagram because I just love some of them. <laughs> so what's, what's one of your favourites or a couple of your favourites? Yeah, I like when she says everything is happening so fast. Puberty is like a runaway train. Mm-hmm. Why can't my body slow down so I can catch my breath? Um, yeah, I just like that imagery of her wanting to catch her breath in puberty. Mm. There's, there's another one I like. It's it's time I stopped going in circles in my cramped bowl and swam into the big open ocean. What does that mean for you, that one? For that one, well, it's a book about swimming as well, yeah. Aida Buddha, and this is in reference to her standing up for someone she knows who um, is, is involved in, in abuse and so she has to really, you know, stand up and say what she knows mm. and mm. Um, report it and... So, you know, she has been feeling like she's in her cramp bowl, but she really needs to grow up and realise the world is big and scary and she's going to have to swim out into it, even as this tiny goldfish. 
you know, what I love about your books in general is how you don't shy away from addressing concerns, like you um, bring climate change into this book and obviously there's uh, mental health concerns. Why is it important to write about these topics for this age group, do you think? Yeah, I I think it's so important to write, you know, because I write realistic contemporary fiction. If I'm not writing about what young people are actually going through and what their world really looks like, then I'm just not doing my job. I've had mostly... I've been really lucky to have mostly good reviews for this book, but one older reviewer did say that she thought that it was too obvious and too forced, the mentions of climate change and climate change anxiety, and I just couldn't disagree more. Mm. I find if she wants to have a go at my writing, I'm not being up to scratch, but I think a lot of children are so worried about the current state of the world and the environment, and I think it definitely plays on their mind and it's on their you know, screens, you know, we can see it now, you know, in the floods, in the fires, it's all around them, you know. Mm. But I think writing these sorts of concerns in a book gives children a, a quiet kind of reflective space to think about these anxieties and fears and maybe also what they can do um, themselves. Um, yeah. So in the book, B discovers a group called Extinction Rebellion Youth through her friend and they at the end of the book they you know plan to go to a march and just knowing maybe that you can take action and can play a part in change I think it's really important for kids to know. Yeah absolutely I'm still sitting here I can feel myself feeling a bit annoyed at that review. <laughs> yeah. I won't tell you where that review was. You're, you're always get. I don't think I could be a writer. I've done a lot of work on myself, but I don't think I could read negative reviews like that. That must be really, well, how is that actually? Let's ask you because I'm sure there's people out there who, like me, have a very strong superego or inner critic. How, how do you deal with people writing negative things about your work? Well, I love the term superego. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I find it really hard. I think the hardest part is, I mean, is the time where you wait just before your book comes out. Maybe there's sort of four weeks before it comes out and you know it's starting to be sent out to reviewers and you know they're reading and then maybe they've sort of sent you a you know, photo of the book. It's an advanced copy. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's real nerves around that because you've been surrounded by people who are just kind of like the yes people that are telling you how brilliant you are and how great the book <laughs> is and how wonderful the cover is and you're a genius because that's yeah. you know, your publisher and your agent, they're going to say those things. But when it goes into the hands of readers, it's up to them to decide and you have absolutely no control over that. So it's very hard if you're a control freak like I am <laughs> to let go and you really have to let go and realise that what was yours and what you owned completely and what was your heart on the page is now belongs to people and is a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is very tough. The other thing that's tough is when you get entered into competitions, writing competitions yeah. um, for awards and prizes and it's great when you get make the shortlist or when you're lucky enough to win, but often you miss out and mm. you have to look at the books that got shortlisted and, and compare yours to their that work. It's not a job you want to do if you can't handle that kind of, you know, <laughs> the rejection and the comparison to other people and missing out. Those things are part of it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we went for a socially distanced walk the other week. <laughs> And, you know, we were talking about um, how Buddha's doing and, I mean, from my perspective, you know, when I 
saw the little wave. I mean, we read the little wave. We love that as well. And um, but for me, there seems more buzz around around this one, and lots of people taking selfies. And I even noticed, and I commented on your Instagram yesterday, someone's even done a little life picture of their head with the hat and with these. Oh yes. Bookface, it's called Bookface. It's called Bookface. Is that what it's called? I have no idea yeah. that was even a thing. <laughs> I Where you remember. hold a book, yeah, up to your face and it matches your face matches the cover because yeah. it has a face of it. Yeah. yeah. It's quite well, it's cool the perfect cover for that, isn't it? Because it's got half a hair and the hat. And I thought that's I might get me, I might get my daughter to to do one of those. But it reminded me of that anyway, which I thought was such a cool book, obviously. If you were to recommend us to put your book in a little pack with a bit like um, the stepmother creating a little bit of a period pack for for daughters, (laughs) what other books do you like with these topics? Yeah, I mean, I'm so pleased that there's so much more out there. The books about puberty and periods are so inclusive and diverse nowadays and they're really open and honest. It's fantastic. I would recommend Welcome to Your Period, as we mentioned before. It's by um, Yumi Steins and Dr. Melissa Kang. Melissa Kang was Dolly Doctor. So Ah. (laughs) that's a really nice throwback there. But that's a a great little book. It's not overwhelming. It has nice little illustrations and and is just a really good snapshot about what to expect when you first get your period. Uh, Girl Stuff, 8 to 12 years old by Kaz Cook, is also just very frank and funny and well-researched. Mm-hmm. And there's another one called The Hormone Diaries by Hannah Witten, which I haven't read, but it's apparently really great as well. Mm-hmm. And throwing a bit of fiction, there's um, a book called Go With The Flow, which is a, a graphic novel, which is about a group of girls who discover there are no sanitary products available at the school but the football team is getting all the funding so they they push for equality and sanitary products to be provided in the toilets and around school which is fantastic right another one which is for much older kids so maybe sort of 14 15 plus Mm -hmm. is called blood moon by lucy curfew it's about a girl who gets a period during an intimate moment with a boyfriend and this moment becomes um, a social media meme and and gets out and it's absolutely stunning Mm. the way it's written and and what it makes you think about. And it is about the shame still attached to periods and and we really have to just get rid of that. It's such a natural, normal part of life and, you know, (laughs) it's a wonderful book. Um, What else? Uh, The Moon Within by Aida Salazar is a great novel that deals with um, periods, The Edge of 13 by Nova Wheatman and The Year the Maps Changed by Danielle Binks all have periods mentioned in the book but in a really nice natural way. Mm-hmm. So I think those are my picks. Great. I'll make sure I find the links to all of those and put them in the show notes. You reminded me of something when you were talking about, I think it was the, the Blood Moon one. I think in somewhere in Scandinavia they have an ad on TV for getting your period or menstruating that is completely out there for us but completely normal for them. So I can't remember exactly the context of it or what it's about, but I'm going to try and find it and put it in the show notes as well just to show the sort of difference between how we talk about things here compared to there where they're a lot more liberal, I think. so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I started to notice, though, with, you know, period um, it's becoming so popular yeah. and it's you know, periods when where I've seen ads where they actually do show what looks like blood, you know, as they wash mm. out the, the swimwear and the undies. And I think, oh, great, you know, that's fantastic that we don't have to 
sort of have a stand-in for what blood should be should look like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the old-fashioned period ads, which I talked about with Dr. Lara Owen, you know, mm-hmm. everyone doing everything in white on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, really? <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Who so, ever wears white anything when they've got their period? It's, you know, know. black all the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, look, we're coming to an end. Where can people find you, Pip? Okay, you can find me on social media. Um, my handle is at Pip Has, H-A-Z, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter and I'm quite active. I've also got a website called pipharry.com. Perfect. And I know you're a big fan of um, buying from the local bookstore. So um, obviously your first recommendation is to go and find a nice little bookstore to get them to order your book or to buy it from there. Oh, independent. (laughs) Independent, that's it. Definitely independent bookstores, but also for the first time in my career, Are You There Buddha is actually at a big chain store, department store, Big W has stopped it online in stores. Yeah, I was amazed by that. That's just amazing. It's also at Dimmicks and and Readings in Melbourne, um, online, Booktopia. It's kind of everywhere. And it's a great book for girls aged between sort of 9 or 10 and 14, especially girls who are just about to start high school. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming. What a pleasure it was. We always have such good chats and we go in all kinds of different directions. I really enjoy it. Thank you for listening to the Song Sessions podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. To learn more about how you can befriend your body, feelings, mind and soul, get Jody's free 65-page ebook at thesoulcenter.online. Until next time.